When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Good evening, everyone. Jude Seymour from uh, One Foot Down, Senior Editor. I'm joined tonight by our good friend, Brendan McAlendon, uh, also of the website. And Joshua is off tonight. But we have our good friend, Greg Flamang from UHND. Brendan Gregory, how are you tonight? Well, I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to uh, talk a little bit of Notre Dame Cincinnati football. I am, so I have joined in. I'm just going to sit and listen and soak in <laughs> Brendan's um, wisdom. His Thanks. wisdom. He is, he is the, uh, the caller of the opponent like I on our podcast what I do is I just tell people to listen to your preview pod <laughs> Brendan is the swami he knows everything there is to, and he's never been wrong about an opponent <laughs> he told us he told us that Purdue was trash and they were trash and that yeah. was true especially their offense and he told us that Graham Mertz was trash and he was worse than trash and so <laughs> I'm just I'm just here to listen, so First I hope all, you guys have a good time. Greg, you're stealing my bit, and I don't appreciate it. So that's <laughs> what I, that's what I do on these on these preview pods. But, uh, yes, we uh, we defer to to Brendan's uh, research and wisdom, and we will get to that. But there's a couple of things that have happened since the last time that we potted with Josh that I want to get your guys' takes on. And the first is kind of a, maybe not a big deal. Um, but the Notre Dame football uh, social media accounts announced that we're doing an Irish wear green part two uh, on Saturday, which is urging the again urging the fans to to uh, wear green in the stands as a as a sign of solidarity. I guess um, I think back. it's probably probably worth noting that of all the Irish wear green uh, events, which only started in 2018, if I recall correctly. Um, the Irish have never actually worn green football jerseys in the same weekend that they wear green in the stands. So my question to you both is, are we going to see some sort of, um, different uniform than the, than the traditional home uniform this weekend? What, what, what's your thought? 
Um, I, I got a sneaking suspicion that they might. Um, and on good authority, uh, we are under the belief that in 2018 they had the opportunity of wearing green uniforms against Michigan and they chose senior day against Florida State. That's correct, right? Uh, th- that's the, the accepted wisdom, yes. So my guess would be if a similar thing was posed to them this season, um, they have two night games and – the possibility was they might have worn green against USC or North Carolina, probably USC more so. But USC has – they've gone in the tank. Uh, they fired their head coach. Um, they just got boat raced by Oregon State uh, in a very embarrassing manner, um, especially that brutal second half. <laughs> and if you're Notre Dame, why why do you call for a green out for this game? where you might have done it for one of those two games. And if you're going to call for a green out part two, it just makes sense that perhaps, perhaps this is it. We might get some solidarity between the team and the fans in the stadium with a green uni. Greg, do you think the green uniforms have, would have any effect? I mean, Cincinnati just announced that they've got some sort of special dope away uniform or whatever that they think they're pretty psyched about or whatever. I mean, do you think uniform, this kind of uniform stuff has any effect on, ultimately how how the game is played how the game is played no but i think it could have an effect on the general um atmosphere in the stadium right like they wouldn't they would not do it if it wasn't to kind of raise the level i guess because why would you switch then right like they they did it for the florida state game because you know it's like senior day or whatever um and that's like, you know, like fun, special thing. This would be like we're doing it because we we recognize as a top 10 team. It would just like we're coming out in green jerseys like this is for real. So I don't know, like the I don't think it affects kind of like the level. Right. Like, I don't I don't think that suddenly like Kane Madden's going to be Quentin Nelson. Cause he's wearing <laughs> the green jersey. But like. Like, I, I think that overall, like, it just heightens your senses, you know, like, okay, like this, it, it kind of sets the tone for the whole day. So I think I, it has an effect in that I, get, I mean, like, are they less likely to miss a run fit uh, and give up a 60-yard run uh, or 60-yard touchdown in green jerseys than they are in, in blue jerseys? Like, I, I, I get the whole, like, you know, get the crowd fired up, whipped up into a frenzy or whatever. But if Cincinnati punches them in the mouth real quick, I think – Sort of that gets tossed out the window whether you're wearing blue jerseys or green jerseys. Wouldn't that be fair? Yeah. I mean, look, getting punched in the mouth is going to have an effect on you no matter what you're wearing. So, of course. I I, I don't think it would prevent that from happening, right? I mean, look, it, it's like it's like we always talk about the Virginia Tech thing and, and their inner Sandman stuff. And then what is that, <laughs> what is, what is that good for? Nothing. Went over North Carolina, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I think that there is an apprehension from the fan base. Um, and I think a lot of it just stems from um, repeated bowl failures with mediocre teams. Um, what was it? The, the Gator Bowl. Sure. Um, and then I think the one that really sticks with people and why they think that it's cursed is the 14-7 to defeat at the hands of the Boston College Eagles in 2002, where Pat Dillingham uh, very generously handed the football 
off to uh, the Boston College defender who uh, I mean, I, I recall it being more of a toss play. than a handoff, but yes, it was not. It, it was, was a not, pitch play. It was not. It, it was, was not, a flip. It was not the best. <laughs> it was a flip. No. He had a real name, like short name, like Ott or 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 something like that too, right? Josh. Yes. Ott? Is that oh, yeah, Josh Ott. Yeah. yeah, it was Josh. That Ott. sounds right. Yeah. And he got an, an interception for it. So, uh, yeah, shovel pass maybe pitch. <laughs> I mean, I think the bush push game, right? That that plays into yeah. it, right? Too. Um, is is there is there a precedent for Notre Dame facing a top ten team as an underdog at home and wearing green jerseys? I think uh, I didn't. Uh, either you or Josh brought that up uh, when we were kind of talking about it. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would have to dig into my research. That's, well, what about the seventy seven game? I don't know that USC was top ten though. Someone's I, looking it up. I am looking it up. Sorry, okay. with, the, with the banging on the in the background. No, no, no. Because I, I, it saves me. I don't have to do it. Yeah. Uh, USC was number five at the time. It was number five. Oh my god. So okay. I imagine. So I imagine they were underdogs then. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. So, and I would imagine they were underdogs against Florida in the uh, Cheerios Bowl, right? Uh. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Technically sure, yeah. a green jersey sure. game, right? Green numbers. So. Not at home. Right. Not at home. A, a green jersey game, yeah. So I'm gonna throw something out at you guys, okay? Because we're talking about the green jerseys, and everyone gets kind of nervous, right? Like they're cursed or whatever. But it's it, it's gonna be a green jersey if it is so. It is a green jersey game in the rain, which is also kind of like gives people the heebie-jeebies. So the two negatives cancel. It all becomes a positive. Green jerseys <laughs> in the rain. Magical. So, uh, I, I, that's multiply a negative by a negative, you get a positive. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's how it works. Yes. It wasn't raining at Fenway, was it? When they wore them against Boston? No, they, no, it was not. I mean, it would it explain all the fumbling, but no, I don't yeah. think it was. So, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was at long discussed on the OFD uh, website. In fact, I think I wrote an article about it in 2017 when I first joined the site. And that is officially now Notre Dame versus BYU in Las Vegas. Shamrock Series, October 8th, 2022. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders, new stadium, Legion Stadium. Uh, what do you guys, how do you guys feel about this? Uh, make, make, finally making good on the, the, the long delayed BYU series. Put the team in all black. That's what I say. Um, put the team in all black and then you can run the, uh, the tagline of bet on black. <laughs> and it's plus it, it they do the stupid NFL thing um where they wore the Green Bay Packers uniforms nay um in uh, Chicago Chicago Bears. a salute to Chicago I don't, I don't know what that yeah. is. I know what you're talking about yeah but so it would make sense to wear the black for the Raiders um and I I think that at some point Notre Dame's going to do the black for the sake of black jersey they're going to wear a black jersey at some point um, so that would be a game. Otherwise, just toss them out in those, uh, spring game all golds they wore in the early 2000s. I mean, for me, you know, twist my arm. I'll drive out to Vegas. <laughs> I mean, come <laughs> on. I don't, the, the, the chances of me being at this game are 100% chance. Yeah. Yeah, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the hours? How many hours away is Vegas to you? It's a four hour drive. Okay. So that's totally doable. Uh, yeah, you got I, we, we, I did it in the summer. Yeah, plus you got another year to get your kids older, so it's less of a – I mean, would your wife and the kids come or 
Uh, my wife would come. I okay. would not bring the kids. You would not bring the kids? I love it. No. I love it. No. No, thanks. No, thank you. No. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, I think by, they're older, so it'd be easier for them to sleep over at my parents. That's what that is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fired up about it. I, I was super excited when they floated the idea. Um, cause like, you know, they play in San Diego, right? Which is also an easy drive, but it's like so easy that I'm not getting a hotel to San Diego. And plus it's like, I don't know. It's Vegas. Of course I'm going to stay over in Vegas, right? Yeah. Why wouldn't yeah. you, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, do you, do you, uh, it's hard, impossible for us to say, but do you, do you have a, an inkling whether or not BYU is going to be a formidable opponent in 2022? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, I know that, uh, I know that <laughs> the, uh, the Marcus Freeman defense is going to be formidable in 2022. I know that. Yeah. I know BYU is going to start at least six 25 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> You've just come off missions. I, I would guarantee you that at least half and of all their the names have a, are currently and on a, mission. And all their names have a Y in them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I, I'm amazed that Notre Dame has been playing football since, I believe, 1887. And this is the first game in Nevada, in the state of Nevada. Wow. I just like, I, I, for some reason that just strikes me as just like, how did this never happen before? You know what I mean? Whether it be a, a weird bowl that they would have played in or, and I know they have a weird bowl history with the, with the moratorium for, for several years, but just the idea of never having played in Nevada. And then in 2022, they have UNLV on the schedule, but they play them at Notre Dame stadium and then go out to Las Vegas <laughs> to play BYU, which I think is, I just cracks me up. Just absolutely cracks me up. And I think the, you know, maybe two weeks difference between those two games. So, um, is very, very funny to me. So. All right, yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um I think, you know, just like Greg and probably every other Notre Dame fan on this planet who also likes Las Vegas, uh will be probably trying to uh figure out a way to score some tickets to, to that game and I, I have no idea what Allegiant Stadium. I mean, it's a pro stadium, so I'm I'm guessing it seats a billion and six people, so hopefully tickets won't be hard to come by, but um we'll leave that problem for 2022. And the last thing I wanted to ask you guys about was this announcement on our website about breaking tea, pulling out, uh, three, um, t-shirts in support of na- name, image, and likeness. And, and more specifically for Chris Tyree, the jet, uh, JD Bertrand, the tackling machine. I think that's what they decided to call him. And yeah. Kyron Williams just got a KW 23 or whatever. Um, guys in general, what do you think about the, uh, the idea of getting a shirt of maybe one of your three favorite players on, on Notre Dame is, uh, I know Greg's probably all in on the Kyle Hamilton merchandise. So I'm guessing you're, you're, you're cool with this. I am very cool with it. I'm cool with it. I think they missed an opportunity. If they would have, if they would have just dropped that shirt announcement, like the moment Chris Tyree ran that one back, (laughs) it would have been, Hotcakes couldn't have kept them off the presses. Yeah, the, the the designs are pretty sweet. Josh yeah, I like what they they were they were fantastic. I like what they did with the uh, with the player um, the pick slice players. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing um, you know the players not only hyping their own shirts but also maybe if other guys on the team are wearing shirts of you know their their guys. Um, you know, maybe, uh, it's almost like an Instagram, uh, reshare, right? Like when, uh, 
you know, maybe Isaiah Pryor gets excited about uh, <laughs> a post that KJ Wallace makes or something like that. And so you see the post twice, once if you follow KJ and once if you follow uh, Isaiah or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to see, you know, guys, um, you know, with JT, JD Bertrand, uh, linebackers, Jack, you know, Jack Kaiser wearing a JD Bertrand shirt. I think that, that would be kind of funny to, to see. So, um, I, I have no idea how many, uh, copies of the shirt they get hooked up with or, or what they have to do to, to promote it. But I just think it's, it's cool that we're in this space now where, um, you know, for a long time, breaking T wouldn't let, uh, one foot down do anything that re- referenced a player. And now it feels a little bit more wide open where you can get shirts of, of a guy that, uh, that you like that, you know, basically you don't have to wait for the bookstore to, uh, you know, to, to do wait till it. They graduate, maybe, you know? Yeah. Wait till they graduate. That's a great point. That's a great. Unless point. it's Manti and they start selling number five shirts with lays on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So there's always a way. There's always a way. So, um, that's all that I had in terms of stuff before the, the Cincinnati preview. I'm, we've got some picks to make later in the, in the show. And, uh, as Josh announced on the last show, Greg's actually going to pick for Josh this week, which is a little bit of pressure because Josh is currently leading, uh, the OFD oh. weekly picks with, oh. uh, with 11 correct and nine wrong. And so Brennan's right behind him, nipping at his heels 10 and 10, and I am eight and seven. But before we get to that, I would be remiss if I didn't turn over the, the proverbial microphone to to Brennan to give us a sense of what we're looking at with this Cincinnati Bearcats team that we may have heard a lot about uh, peripherally, but maybe have not gotten a chance to actually watch uh, closely. And I think Brennan has done that research. So, Brennan, let us know what what do we uh, what should we be watching out for on Saturday? I mean, when when it comes to Cincinnati, it's 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 about two things for me. Um, and I guess the first thing is is when I've watched since it, I'm, I mean, I've, I've probably watched close to every Cincinnati football game over the past three years. Um, if, as long as it wasn't in absolute, um, you know, conflict with a Notre Dame game, Cincinnati's either on my TV or it's been on my other TV or it's been on a tablet. So I've always had the, the Cincinnati games on there because I got a, a, my best friend's a, a huge Cincinnati fan. So I, I want to be able to, converse um intelligently with him when it comes to his team so the thing that's very difficult when i look at cincinnati's roster is i just don't know how good they actually are so last year with the covid season um they played entirely within the aac so it was just them playing against like-minded talent you know three stars against three stars and it made for a, a very compelling AAC schedule and some exciting, fun games. But that's the problem when you play all within your conference is there's no point of reference outside of it. Even if you're playing like I, this season, they played Indiana, and, and it would have been nice last year to, to see to see what they looked like when they played outside the the schedule. And they did play Georgia, um, you know, in their bowl game, but that wasn't Georgia. Georgia was down six starters who opted out of that football game. All four members of Georgia's secondary, they're both cornerbacks, both safeties opted out. They were starting second string safeties and second string cornerbacks in that game. Georgia was down their center and uh, left guard in that football game. So, and the Georgia that they got, you know, with all of those opt outs was pretty disinterested in the early onset of that game. 
Um, and you know, when you, when you, uh, Jerome Ford had a 79 yard run and a lot of people point to that run, um, as being like, Oh, look at Jerome Ford. He's got a 79 yard run against Georgia. That's, that's a great thing. And you watch the run and they, it, he gets into the second level and their secondary, I, I can't, I couldn't script worse lines for them to take to get to Jerome Ford on that play. So I don't really know how good exactly Cincinnati is. I mean, how good's their offensive line? So coming into the season, um, they were replacing both of their tackles and their center. To this point, they played Miami of Ohio, Murray State, and Indiana. Um, I don't think any of those teams are particularly adept at playing defense. So it's, it's, it's difficult to really judge how good Cincinnati is in the grand scheme of things, but, but looking at it against the competition that they played, um, I can say that, um, Desmond Ritter is a pretty good quarterback. I, I do, I, I wasn't there last year when I watched Cincinnati in 2019. Um, he was a guy that kind of shirked, uh, when he would have a string of bad passes, he would get kind of in his head and it would carry on with him for the rest of the game. It was very Brandon Wimbush where, where, when he would find some, um, adversity uh throwing the football it would dog him for the rest of the game and it would get in his head and you kind of saw that last year against South Florida where he had you know three picks and after that it, it's like a, a light switch flipped on for him and he's just been an entirely different guy um Desmond Ritter is without a doubt probably the best player on offense that they have um he is a true dual threat quarterback um, Notre Dame's played some guys who could run and do a little passing, and they played some guys who could pass and do a little bit of running. But Ritter is a guy who can absolutely do both. He is an electric runner, and he's got a cannon for an arm. There was some accuracy issues this year uh, or last year, and it looks like he's potentially cleaned some of them up, albeit against uh, less than competition. I mean, how good is Murray State? But um, as far as their skill position guys go. Um, I don't really like any of their receivers. I think the one that I like the most isn't maybe the, the most headline one. I like Alec Pierce, number 12. Um, of the three of their, um, main receivers, he's probably the best of the ones and the ones that give me the most pause. He's 6'4. I think Brian Kelly compared him to, uh, Bennett Skoranek and that he's like mm. a rangy guy who runs good routes. Um, he's really good at getting behind man coverage. Um, when Indiana retook the lead in the fourth, uh, he beat, uh, Tawan Mullen, who is the, you know, the best, uh, the best corner, one of the best corners in the Big Ten. He beat him on a 19 yard pass, uh, to put Cincy back up and then back up for the rest of the game. Um, in the AAC title game, um, he got behind his man on a long go ahead score, um, as well. Um, as far as the other guys, I mean, Michael Young's there and he was a big part of their offense last year. But I mean, they target him a lot, but he's just not, he just, he just doesn't make a lot of plays. Um, Tyler Scott leads their team in receptions and yards and he's kind of fast, but I don't think that any one of their three receivers would start for Notre Dame. And I don't think that they probably would have started for Notre Dame last year. I, even Alec Pierce, I'm giving him praise. I don't think he's as good as Ben Saronic. I mean, there's a reason why Michael Young is playing at Cincinnati. 
Um, hmm. So I'm not sure how good their receivers are. Um, but yeah, Michael Young's never even snipped a 70 yard game at Cincinnati. I mean, I think 68 is his highest yardage. So, um, there's certainly a possibility for some revenge factor for Michael Young feeling like, you know, he's going up against his whole team, but I just, I, there's no David Bell on this roster as far as Notre Dame seeing better receivers than they're going to see this weekend. And then let me, uh, let me, guys, let me yeah, stop go you ahead. for a second. Um, you were talking about, um, you were, you were talking about Ritter. Was it last year that I remember because we would talk, we've talked about Cincinnati for a bunch, like, like yeah. <laughs> lo, a lot longer, right? Like, cause yeah. you are, are always watching. And, and when they were, they were a big thing last year with, you know, the media and everything and they wanted to put them in the playoff. And we would talk about Cincinnati in the DMs all the time. And you were, was it last year that you were ready to kind of like move on from Ritter? After the South Florida game, they got this kid, Evan Prater, who yeah. was like a, um, I don't know if he, I think he might have been a Mr. Ohio, um, but he's their most her- heralded recruit ever. Uh, he's a four-star quarterback out of the state of Ohio. And, um, you know, the, the comps on him is they're like, he's a cross between Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor. And yeah. he's a big, he's big guy like Desmond Ritter. Okay. And yeah, I was ready to, I was ready to pull the parachute on Ritter because, uh, I mean, Ritter threw three picks in that South Florida game right. for 143 yards and he followed it up against SMU with a 126 yard performance. And at that point I was like, all right. So he was, he was like, he was like killing them basically. Yeah. Well, their, their offense was just stagnant. Right. Um, they needed, and then after that, he goes, you know, 271 against Memphis in a blowout. He goes 162. Uh, against Houston, 372 against East Carolina, 338 against UCF, uh, 269 against Tulsa. He doesn't, you know, he throws two picks the rest of the season after that South Florida game. And he was fantastic the rest of the way. And right. yeah, and he's a guy who can throw on the run, um, which can be a concern. Um, and we'll get into it when we kind of discuss what we, you know, Notre Dame wants to do with him, but. Yeah, as, as far as Desmond Ritter goes, um, he'll definitely be the best quarterback Notre Dame probably plays this year. Um, you know, Sam Howell, uh, you know, with, you know, withstanding. Um, and as yeah. far as the running back goes, there's Jerome Ford. He's a transfer from Alabama. He's a four star guy who went to Alabama, transferred out, uh, got immediate eligibility. And here's what I'll say about uh, Jerome Ford. He's not a burner. He's a power back, um, which means that for four straight weeks now, Notre Dame has played nothing but teams that have featured power backs. Um, I I don't think they they faced a running back, a starting running back, who's you know better than a four six five forty speed. Um, but yeah. Jerome Ford wasn't able to beat out Gerald Dokes last year. Um, I liked Gerald Dokes a lot. Their running back last year. Um, he was a hard runner and he was really good at like bursting to the hole and he was a good pass blocker. Um, I don't know if Jerome Ford is particularly good. He didn't have a great day against um, uh, Indiana and running the football altogether. They didn't have a particularly good day of, of running the football, but um, I think Jerome Ford's the kind of running back that Notre Dame is built to contain. So if they're going to get success running the football, it's probably going to be on the legs of Desmond Ritter. And then maybe that opens it up for Jerome Ford. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Jerome Ford scares me at all 
uh, as a running back. If I'm if I'm looking at their room, the, the guy I like probably more is this kid Charles McClelland, who's probably he if he's not the fastest guy on the roster, they got a guy they have a receiver Trey Tucker, uh, who had a 99 yard kick return against IU, who's a wide receiver, but he doesn't get much snaps at wide receiver. Um, but they got they have a fast running back there, but I mean he blew out he's blown both of his knees out. And he hasn't got a ton of touches this year. It's really been a one running back system. Um, and I, I guess that brings us to Cincinnati. The, the thing that worries people besides Desmond Ritter is, is their defense. And, um, they, they do legitimately have a quality guy at all three levels. Um, Ajay Sanders, the, uh, edge rusher, um, he doesn't have a sack yet this year. Uh, neither did George Karloftis, I should point out. Um, but he's a guy that people think is going to translate to the NFL, and he's very good. I think we're going to see number 21 in the backfield a lot. Um, at the uh, linebacker position, um, they got a guy named Darian Beavers. Um, he's an off-ball linebacker. Uh, he blitzes from the second level a lot. He, I think he leads the team. I think he's got a, at least a half sack in every game this year. I think he's got sack, sack, half sack, something like that. Um, he's a guy that they love to bring on like a delayed blitz or to, um, crash up the middle. And I think that's a bad matchup for, um, a Madden. So, uh, he's, he's a good linebacker. Um, and then they have the best duo of corners maybe in football. I don't know if they've ever played. And here's the thing about them. Um, and I'm referring to Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, um, both of them were all AAC first team. Um, Sauce Gardner is considered probably maybe a first first round NFL talent at the cornerback position, you know, late first round. Um, I, I just don't know if they've ever lined. And this is this is my overall concern. This is my thing with Cincinnati overall is they've never lined up against a guy like Kevin Austin, except for when they played Georgia and George Pickens went for 135 yards and Georgia threw for 104 in the football game. So the one time that they were matched up against the guy who is at, at the level of Kevin Austin, they got torched, absolutely torched in the secondary. And um, a lot of what their secondary does, and we know this from watching uh, Freeman this year is they rely pretty heavily on their safeties and they are missing Derek Foss, uh, Derek Forrest and James Wiggins. And Wiggins was the guy who, you know, over the last season was really let Cincy's defense flourish. Um, cause he had that sort of Kyle Hamilton role where he was asked to do everything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, rushing the passer as well as, um, you know, playing the, the, you know, deep, deep man to, to clean stuff up. So, I don't know if either of their two um, safeties are any good. Um, so that's definitely something that I would be interested in testing is how do they look in the middle of the field and what, who's going to be covering Michael Mayer and do they have the ability to cover somebody like Michael Mayer as well as who's going to be covering um, Avery Davis because the guy that they have as their nickelback, um, Arquan Bush he got burned on a 44-yard pass against uh, Indiana. Uh, it was Penix's only throw of, of any note uh, in that game, and he burned him on a 44-yard pass, and 
Anquan Bush looked slow and out of position, and Javon Hicks was the safety over the top. He looked slow and out of position. It was it was a pretty brutal play um, to see. Uh, I watched it a few times, just picturing um, you know somebody in lined up in the slot getting into that same position where they just they just don't have the ability to keep step for step. And that's that's the thing with Cincinnati is. Um, you know, they, they legitimately are a team of, uh, three stars. So, um, how does, how does that look when they're lined up against a, a Notre Dame team? Um, that, you know, we talked about the talent disparity between Notre Dame and Wisconsin. Um, this is an even more cavernous one. And I think that they have some guys who can, are going to play in the NFL, but, um, from top to bottom, they sure don't. So, um, I suppose that's what I know. Uh, about Cincinnati, do you guys have any well, Brendan, questions? Just to put, you on, yeah. uh, put you on the spot. If you were offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock and you knew what you knew about Notre Dame, obviously now five years removed, but you still sort of understand who Brian Kelly is and maybe some some you know you watched some tape and thought about some tendencies or whatever. What's the what's the way that you would use the personnel that Cincinnati has to? to open up the run game or to exploit some sort of weakness that, that Notre Dame has shown on, on tape through the first quarter of the season? I just put on the Florida State tape and I say, I want to do that. <laughs> okay. They got a quarterback who can, who can scoot. Um, so I want to get, I want to get, um, you know, Desmond Ritter out of the pocket. I want to get him moving. I want to get Notre Dame's players out of position and I want to get, um, you know, I want to isolate Kyle Hamilton. I don't want Kyle Hamilton in coverage. I want to be able to throw the football. So I want to force Notre Dame to make Kyle Hamilton watch Desmond Ritter and then let my receivers try and make plays against the other members of Notre Dame secondary. That's what I'm going to want to do. Um, if I'm Notre Dame, I want to keep Desmond Ritter in the pocket as much as I possibly can, and I want to pressure him. And I think Notre Dame is going to be able to get pressure. But um, yeah, that, my concern is, is that if Desmond Ritter gets on the go, um, I'm interested to see what this, uh, and, and Cincinnati's a team that wants to take shots. They take a lot of deep shots and all of their deep shots are over the middle. So I'm very interested to see what the back end of Notre Dame's defense looks like for a team that is going to want to take shots. And if I have a, uh, a, a beef with Cincinnati over the last couple of years is I don't think Mike Dembrock's a particularly inspired or um, a creative play caller. I, I think that they have some some things that they could probably do more with Desmond Ritter, and they just don't because Denbrock is yeah, – I don't want to say vanilla, but it, it's kind of vanilla. I mean it for for what the, the tools that they have, it, it seemingly is vanilla. And Greg, question to you, sort of similar to that, which is if I'm M- Marcus Freeman having coming over from Cincinnati, obviously now less than one year removed, and I know sort of uh, I've worked with guys like Mike Denbrock, and I've certainly worked with you know Luke Fickle or whatever. Um, what what do you think that I can take from my experience at Cincinnati to exploit in th- this upcoming matchup uh, to benefit Notre Dame, if anything? Well. I mean, Freeman obviously knows what makes Ritter uncomfortable. So he can just exploit that however kind of way. Um, you know, you asked Brendan what, what Cincinnati would do. I, I would be moving the pocket pretty much all the time because where Notre Dame is having so much 
um, success the last couple of weeks is, you know, Mertz isn't going anywhere and, um, the, uh, Purdue quarterback wasn't either. So it's like they're just kind of pocket guys. So, so it's easy. It's obviously easier to rush the passer and everything kind of fits when, when they're playing from the pockets. So I'd be moving Ritter around all the time. Um, you know, it, Brendan's talking about, you know, it, we were talking earlier. They, they, they do need to probably spy him. Um, at least someone have someone lurking over the middle who's just doesn't really have a responsibility and can just kind of read things. And, and if he's looking like he's going to get out of there, then, you know, you, you have to have someone there to account for him. Um, it would be, I would think it would be Kyle just because he's playing that robber position anyway, a bunch. And, you know, I was I'm trying to think about like, I kind of want Kyle on the back end too. So could it be Isaiah Pryor? I don't know if I, I like that matchup for him. Um, just cause he's a, he's a straight ahead guy. Not like I want him in space kind of thing. Um, I want him having a defined role, like you're blitzing or you're, you're doing something else. I don't want him kind of freelancing out there. Um, this is but a game yeah. where you really miss GOK, right? Oh, I, that's, that's, yes. I was thinking that earlier. I was like, this would be just a perfect JOK role. Just have him out there and let him like freelance kind of in the middle there. And then you would have Kyle in the back for sure. Yeah, just I'm wondering if we're going to see some deep shot attempts. If we're going to see if, if uh, Cincinnati receivers can run past uh Notre Dame DBs is that is that something that you guys both foresee happening they're gonna try yeah for sure yeah for sure yeah yeah I mean especially if that's their I mean because they they know how to beat themselves right they know what makes them susceptible and you know I mean obviously they've they've seen success although they haven't seen it at corner right like Cam Hart and Clarence Lewis haven't given up anything deep, um, like super deep anyway. Like the, the long pass against Florida State was, um, Houston Griffith on a, on a running back. And the long pass against Toledo was, um, KJ Wallace. So, you know, everybody really haven't really seen that coverage since then. So, but they do need to try it because they know that that's how you, that's how they beat themselves. Right. If you if you're going against Cincinnati's defense, that's what you would do. You you, you try to take shots on them because they're going to play so aggressive. So, um, yeah, that's definitely what they're going to try. Um, we haven't talked about sort of the 800 pound elephant in the room, which is you know at this point Wednesday night when we're taping, we don't know definitively that Jack Cohn won't start. Um, you know, you can probably try to lead, read some tea leaves and, and, and get some suggestion that maybe Cone won't be ready to go. Uh, certainly that hasn't been far from confirmed. So let's, let's talk about both iterations. What do you think, um, 100% healthy Jack Cone or maybe 95% healthy Jack Cone, uh, needs to do in this game to keep Notre Dame's offense viable? And if he's not able to play, what do you guys think about what the game plan will be for for Drew Pine? And, and let's start with let's start with Greg on this. I mean, okay, assuming it's Cone, right? I I, I mean, he's got to be the Florida State version of himself because because the, the sacks were happening in that game. That's true, but when he had time and he wasn't 
and he wasn't pressured or anything, then he was getting the ball where it needed to go and he was getting it there accurately. Right. And he was hitting the throws that he needed to hit. So he, you know, he hit Kevin Austin along when he hit Michael Mayer a few times. Um, he was just, it, it was just an accurate performance. And ever since then, it's just gotten worse in, in the throwing department. Okay. So, so I, I think a lot has been discussed about the sacks and, and that's true. It, it is an issue, but. To, for me, if the sacks remained, but his play from the Florida State game was what we saw, then then that's kind of a different issue. Like I, I think if he was the Florida State version, we blow out Purdue, and we probably we, blow we probably Toledo. we blow out Toledo when we. I don't want to say we blow out Wisconsin. I don't know, but like we're hitting shots, right? Like we're hitting like we're hitting Braden Lindsay instead of praying for a PI. You know, and, and multiple times for Lindsay, like three, three opportunities. And so that's what he needs to do. You know, I, I get super nervous about, about what Cincinnati's going to do on defense because I see our defense and I feel like our offense would just have a hell of a time against what our defense is because everything is so disguised. They're bringing four, but we don't know where they're coming from. And they blitz the corner all the time. And we've seen corners get home on our, on our offense over and over again, right? They've, they've, how many fumbles have they forced at this point? Two or three. So it's just that they're, and, and when you listen to the, the, the pot of gold with Aaron Taylor and he was talking about, you know, they asked him about the problems with the offensive line, and he was saying the the problem that he sees is not technique. He says their their feet are are right, their hands are right, all of their technical things are where they should be. And he said the problem is is that they are getting confused. They are their uh, their assignments are getting messed up, and that is the problem, right? And that was what. He said that's where the problem was with Wisconsin. They're just so many free rushers because they're they're not knowing their assignments the way they should the, the way they should. And Cincinnati's going to cause problems like that all the time because that's what we've seen from our defense. It's like we we rush four and the offensive line is completely over, overwhelmed because they don't know where they're coming from. And so with 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 Cone back there, if he's if he's what he has been in the last three weeks, I mean, it's, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. So is it, is it, do you have to build in checkdowns? I mean, how do you get the, how do you get the ball out of his hands faster or make it, help him make reads faster? Is it, is it possible? I mean, the reads are there though. That's right. the problem is okay. the passes are there and he's just not, he's just not taking them. He's like locking into, cause we were looking at the, Greg put on a, a fantastic breakdown of a, you know, a, a clip of um, Cone taking a sack. And if he, if he just checks over to his check down of Kyron Williams at six points and it, it, he just locks on to Mayer. And then when Mayer doesn't get open, he just leans into the sack and he takes it. He had five seconds in the pocket. So it's not like it was a, uh, it wasn't quite a coverage sack, but 
it was an instance where if your first read isn't there, you need to be able to dump on your first read and go through your progressions. And it, it doesn't seem like, uh, at least to me, it just, there's, there's some times where it seems like he gets focused on a singular guy and he's not going through them. And then his option is he just, he just takes the sack. And there was the play where, you know, he could throw it away. He could just, he, he could do some things to avoid the sacks. He could, slide out of the pocket instead of stepping into sacks there's just there's just things that he could do to avoid them where um i'm just not seeing it and i don't i don't that it's a thing where i don't know how you can coach that it's something that probably just would click for him right it's just something that has to click are we yeah. agreed that oh i apologize no go no ahead. go ahead no i, I, I was, was just gonna say like there's there's drills you can do but it's like brennan said like you're you're a senior now. Like you're you're a fifth year senior. I mean it was like with Ian, right? Like Ian last year, he 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 was what he was in the pocket. I mean, it's just that you know, he's gonna react how he's gonna react. And that's just how it is. And I we've seen three games now where I mean four games really. It's just that the passing was better against Florida State, but you know, it, the passing that we you know, now he's missing, now he's, and not just the, the pocket presence piece, but he's also like the throws he's making, like he's missing simple out routes now and he's missing, you know, slants and things like that. And, and those, those gotta be, I don't want to say automatic, but they gotta be at high efficiency because of the deficiencies in other areas. We were promised Kevin Austin catching a slant and making plays in space. And that is a play we have yet to see yet. And I think I think that that's something they they mentioned on Inside the Garage podcast is they were like they they explicitly said Kevin Austin hasn't had that they're they're waiting on Kevin Austin yeah. to have that play where he gets the ball in his hands and he just makes people look dumb and yeah. that's something we've yet to see are we going to see that this weekend I'd love to um, mm-hmm. and it looked great for his NFL tape to do it against somebody like Sauce but um, yeah it's just if if it is um, if it is Jack Cohn this Saturday, we are going to see more Tyler Buckner than we would if it's I would I would assume we will see more Tyler Buckner than we will if it's Drew Pine. Because they're going to need to accent Cohn significantly more with um Buckner, assuming he's healthy, um to help jumpstart the running game. Because that's that's the other part is the running game needs needs additional things to help it get moving. Um, and Buckner seems like somebody, at least against Toledo, was who was somebody who was able to not only affect his ability to run the football, but to the running backs as well to run the football. Yeah, I mean, that was that was sort of going to be my question, which is um, I, I just I'm not sure that we've seen enough. Uh, we have a large enough sample size to know definitively who should start if Jack Cohn can't play. Um, but I think, are we in agreement that, that if Jack Cohn can't go, that Drew Pine is going to take the, the, at least the first rep? I'm convinced the second, the best thing to happen to Drew Pine and the best thing to happen to this offense if they decide to go in that direction was that Drew Pine on his first series against Wisconsin got absolutely hammered in the back and fumbled the football. That was the single best thing that could have happened to him because after that, it's like you get the butterflies out. He takes this huge hit. He makes a costly mistake that leads to points and puts Wisconsin up. And after that, he bounces back and he goes six of eight. 
including a touchdown pass to Kevin Austin um, that Brian Kelly on his show today, uh, they broke down and Brian Kelly was just effusive in his praise of um, uh, Drew Pine and his ability to look off the secondary to lead them all in the direction of Mayer. Um, and, and on the touchdown throw, he should, you know, Kelly singles it out. He goes, watch, watch Pine's eyes as he looks off everybody on, as he takes the drop back to get them double teaming and focused on Mayer and then immediately snaps back Austin streaking across the middle touchdown. And the kind of poise and swagger that he showed there coming off of a costly sack in a huge pressure moment. The kid's not a mental midget. I'll give him that. That was that was seriously a um, that was big boy football that he played against Wisconsin. So I'm I'm comfortable uh, with him. And it's tougher to come when you know that you're the guy. This is something Josh always hammers on. It's it's easier to come in, uh, you know, out of the bullpen. Um, and it's a different story when you know you're the guy and teams know that you're the guy. But I know that he's not going to shrink in the moment. Another another thing, if you notice, um, besides the hit and shrinking from the moment, so the play before the touchdown to Austin, they run a zone read play, and Kyron gets the ball, and then he kind of bounces it, and Drew Pine sees him coming his way, and so Drew Pine goes out there and, and starts blocking the uh, the corner. Oh boy, yeah. And and he actually did this on another play. He's sprinting ahead. He's he was sprinting ahead trying to get a block on him. And um, but on this one, he he engages with the corner. He engages, engages, and then the corner sees, and then the corner literally just tosses him aside. I mean, just like <laughs> just throws him, and he goes you know sprawling all over the place. And on the next play, he looks off the defense and throws a touchdown pass. And, and I think that just kind of shows like. The kid is he's he's locked in. I mean, he he. How does that play in the locker room when they're when when everybody's sitting in there or in film room and everybody's looking at that play and they're watching their quarterback go out there and throw blocks for Kyron? How does that play? I mean, he's about it. You know, he's he, Drew's about it, and then. And then you uh, you throw the touchdown and you do the McGregor right and and yeah. <laughs> and you look at the bench and you're just looking at your buddies like yeah like let's go you know and and that I mean nothing plays better than that nothing does. Uh, Jude though to answer your question yeah. about um, about you know Pine versus Buckner yeah it's it's a question of reps at this point because. Um, because Pine's been taking backup reps. At, for, that's what we have discovered, right? So Cone gets the starter reps. So he's like 60%. Pine's getting the, the backup reps, which is like 40%. And then yeah. Buckner has his package. So it's, they, they would, they would go with Pine because he's, he has more of the offense at his disposal and Buckner has the package that he's been working on. Now they can expand the package, but he hasn't gotten the, the volume of reps needed to pass pine at this point. And it, and, it, and like in hindsight, like now, like it's very smart because they, they needed pine to have all those reps because now it's like they, they need him to go. And then you have Buckner. 
So I heard I heard on a just switching topics on you. I heard on another podcast that they were trying to diagnose what sort of was going on with Jack Cohen. And I and I know Greg, you spent a lot of time sort of looking at some of these sacks and trying to decide who ultimately was at fault for for what happened in the Wisconsin game. But are you are you also convinced that um, that basically Jack Cohen has now gotten hit so many times that he's starting to either um, rush his throws? And, and maybe not doing his, his mechanics or he's also hearing footsteps and, and sort of, um, maybe running into danger before he, before he, he needs to. Is that something that, that you think might be happening? I'm convinced that it's affected him. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't want to say footsteps, but I think that it's, it has rushed him mentally to where he doesn't feel comfortable making progressions. Because I, I and 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 the the reason I think that is because of the Florida State game, where he would have had no reason to be concerned, I guess, right? Because he hasn't had a, a game yet. And then against Toledo, there 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 started to have there started to be some pressure, and 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 he had felt pressure against Florida State, and then it came again against Toledo. And then I think at that point, that's when it started to get into his head. Like, I, I need to, I need to get going. Like, I need to, I, I can't, I can't, like, I, I can't see my first read, second read. And I don't know, like that. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Like, I, this isn't working out. And I think it has compounded itself in every game to where I thought, I thought Wisconsin was. Like there were the worst examples were in Wisconsin where it's like, you don't need to like, he's running out of the, like in the red zone. Like he didn't, he didn't need to turn his back and run and trip over Josh Lug there. Right. Like he could have just, he could have just, you know, kind of side shuffled and backed up a little bit and had more time. I don't know that he would have like, he, to me, he had already missed Braden Lindsay. Like what that was the route that was going to come open. And so it, he probably would end up throwing it away anyway, but it's just an example of like, you didn't need to do that. Like you didn't need to turn your back and run. Um, and then the play that I put online. And so I think that it has gotten in his head a little bit and, you know, for him to, I think, take the next, like for him to get out of that, like he, he needs to, he needs to get over that. And, and it's not like I don't understand, like our line is, they're giving up stuff, right? It's not like this is, it's all on jet. Like, let's say he's responsible for 50% of the sacks, right? Well, he's still been sacked 10 times. Like, that's a lot. So, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it, but I, I do agree it has affected him. Brendan, Brendan, any sense that this is, um, that this is correctable either by a personnel change or, just getting enough, uh, getting enough reps, or maybe playing inferior competition. Like, what, what, what can get them to the point where this is not a week in, week out sack parade? I mean, it's um, to go back to uh, the Pot of Gold podcast with Aaron Taylor. Aaron Taylor said repetition. It is, it is, it is just a matter of getting experience and repetition, and. Uh, he didn't go so far as doing the Aaron Rodgers R E L A X relax, <laughs> but that's kind of the vibe that he was giving off where it's like, it should be getting better, 
the more um, the more reps they all have playing together. I mean, look, they're down to their third string left tackle. That that's a big deal, right? Um, yes. It that's that's a big deal, and I, you know, Madden and hasn't been great, um, but that's a guy that that transferred in. I mean, he hasn't been in the system for very long. Um, you know, and then I guess the guy, the guy I kind of feel the most, not mad, but just kind of disappointed in is Josh Lugg in, in, because he's been here for five years and I, I guess I kind of expected him to be not great, but steady. And he hasn't been steady. I don't think that he's been horrible, but I don't think, I think I expected more from Lugg just to be like a not flashy, not great just a steadying presence on the line. And I don't know if it's just magnified by the fact that there've been so many deficiencies everywhere that steady's not good enough, but I don't know. I just, I just think that the more that they play, the better that they'll get theoretically. Um, this would be a tough one. Cincinnati doesn't have a lot of sacks this year. Um, I was kind of surprised when I was, when I was looking at their sack totals, they only have four sacks in three games. Hmm. So, and they played Murray State and they played Miami of Ohio. They only had one sack against Indiana, um, and that was, you know, Micah McFadden. They should have had two sacks, uh, if we're going to be honest, because that roughing the passer call that changed the entire tenor of that game against, uh, you know, Micah Mc. Well, well, it wasn't a sack; it was an incomplete. But still, um, it should have been more than one sack because, you know, it just—I don't know, man. I just. Cincinnati doesn't have a lot of um, sacks on the season, but it's the same thing that we said about Purdue going into the year because George Karloftis didn't have a sack yet. And then he ended up getting – did he have one or did he have a sack? And I know he had at least one. I don't know if he got another half sack um, on the afternoon. But, yeah, it's just – Purdue's only got seven sacks on their season. Four of them came against Notre Dame. So it doesn't seem like it's a, um, a it doesn't seem like whether or not Notre Dame is um, playing a team that can you know get after the passer like Wisconsin, um, or if they're playing Toledo or Purdue, they're still just they're just giving up sacks, man. Um, I I heard a suggestion that I, that I kind of that bought into, and I can't remember where I heard it, but um, you know maybe varying the the offensive um, play calls with maybe doing reverses or, or end arounds or something might help out with the with the offensive line. Uh, Greg, do you have? I mean, you're more well versed in this than I am. Is that something that? First of all, we're not doing any of that. Uh, second of all, would you like to see it? And and third of all, do you think it would actually uh, relieve some of the pressure on the outside guys? I I, I want to see it. I, I want to see jet sweeps. I don't know about reverses, like just but but like. I want to see jet sweeps. I want to see so many like wide receiver screens because the the thing that I look at is we are we're still running into the same type of boxes that we would see we would have seen last year when our running game was obviously much better. And we are still getting that those things. And so to me it's like get the put the onus on the wideouts to make a play out there, right? 
fake the fake the zone read and get it out there. Like we saw it in 2018 so many times with Chase and with Boykin and with Fink. And it's just like these look passes. Like it, if there is any instance when we've got, you know, Austin outside and Braden Lindsay outside and they're playing off, then throw it to them. Who cares what the call is? Like, especially if it's first down, like just throw it to them because they're giving, like, then you are taking your strength. You're taking the ball away from a weakness of yours and getting it out to a strength. It's like you make a play out here. You're the strength of our team. Go make a play. And I, and I feel like we need to do that. I feel like we need to do a lot more jet sweeps. I feel like we need to, we need to get Chris Tyree more touches in space. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, tackles. super weird. What four, four offensive touches last week? Is that right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. just ridiculous. Like, uh, like 17 reps or whatever. And, and, and I, I've heard, you know, I've heard, oh, they can't block it. It's like, well, they can't block the run plays, but we still do them. Like, I, I well, what's the, what's the negative? Like, I, I don't understand. Like we, we, we try to do, you know, runs. We, when we pass, we're getting sacked. So it's not like, it's not like we're not incurring lost tackles for loss, right? Like we're already doing that stuff. So if you're going to, if you have to give up something like that, then give it up when you're trying to get Chris Tyree the ball in space. Like he's, he's having to, like we, we keep running him inside and it's like he can do it, right? He runs hard. He does, but he's not as natural running inside as Kyron. So get him out in space. Like the play against, the play against, um, uh, what was it? Purdue or Toledo? It was the Toledo game where they, where they, where they, they did the, the read and then they flipped it out to him. Pine can do that. Why can't Pine do that? You gotta give it to him. You gotta get him in space. You gotta get Lindsay in space. We're getting, we're getting the literal minimum out of. Lindsay and Tyree right now are you two weren't fastest a big fan. Players. You weren't a big fan of on uh, second and goal from the 13, having Chris Tyree smash his face up the middle. I did not like that. No, <laughs> I did not. I, that was the most inexplicable thing I have seen this year. I can't just, believe they did that. It was, and the thing about it is, is um, if like I. I there's something to be said about having your fastest player get to the edge and try and make a man mess. Right? Yeah. And where, where's the, and, you know, Brayden Lindsay, since he had, you know, has yet to do a jet, has he done a jet sweep no. since 2019? He has not. No. So uh, that's a play he had uh, a little bit of success with, I would say. Um, <laughs> Sad USC coordinator included, right? Is he's just like head down on that one? It's just, and maybe maybe it's something they're building for, and maybe it's something we'll see uh, this weekend where they got to get more creative running the football. And I I think that it would be malpractice if they didn't try and find some ways to exploit the edges. Um, and you know Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a faster team than Cincinnati. Cincinnati is very athletic and they're very good. Um, they're certainly faster and more athletic than Wisconsin. But Notre Dame has faster players. 
There's nobody on their roster that's as fast as Chris Tyree. There's probably no one on their roster that's as fast as Braden Lindsay. So why not put those two particular players that have something that the opponent does not have and try and utilize that? Yeah. Is there a way that Jack Cohn could lose his job after this after this game? Is it possible that he like if he's injured and he can't go or he's not full full bore and and Drew Bine has a either an excellent game or a, a good game and they, and they win? Is it possible that this this becomes the the end of Jack Cohn? Of course. Yeah. 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 I, I don't I don't feel like anybody would feel real bad about that though, right? Um, I, here's, like what I'm, are we, what are we getting out of Jack Cohn that we can't get out of the other two? That, I guess that's maybe that's sort of my question. That's my question too, is just to this point, I'm not sure if he's not, if he's not capable. So Drew Pine has some physical limitations. I don't think that he's got a huge arm, right? He's not very tall. Um, but if Jack Cohn isn't capable of hitting Brayden Lindsay on, you know, a deep shot, if he's not capable of reaching the end zone on a Hail Mary, if he's not capable of shedding off a would-be tackler inside the pocket, then I guess I don't know what his skill set is that would keep him there. He's been sub-55% completion. Um, in his last few games. So if you're not terribly accurate and you're not hitting on deep shots and you're not tough to bring down, what is it that you say that you do here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's, no, that's exactly right. And, and, and so it, it, cause you have to look at it. You have to go back to why, why, what's the theory behind bringing in Jack Cohn to begin with, right? And, and honestly, I, I feel like, like Cade Madden is, is, is kind of the same deal where because you're bringing in two players who are A, experienced and B, both have limitations, but the thing that they do is the thing that can, you know, help you win, take you over the top. So Jack Cohn, right? He's not, you not super mobile, but he's an experienced player. He won 10 games at Wisconsin. Um, he's played in big games. He's played on the road. He's won big games on the road. We think he's a good deep ball thrower. We think he's accurate. We think that he is good in the pocket. We think he's good at making reads. So that's the theory behind Jack Cohn. But as <laughs> Brennan just said. Theory has not equaled reality. Right. If, if you're, right. So it's like if if we're not – good in the pocket and we're not accurate with the deep ball. He's seven of 25 from 20 plus yards this year. Okay. It's not great. It's not great. It's not great. And even if you give him you, even if you give him the, the Lindsay drop, right? So let's say he's eight of 25. It's still just 32%. Like that's below Brandon Wimbush. Okay. It's, it's since 2014. That's the lowest completion percentage on deep balls of the Kelly era. So right now he's the worst deep ball thrower of the Kelly era since 2014, right? They and didn't that's track. the offense, right? What that's do you mean? The, the entire right. offense. That, that is, right, point. and that's so that's what needs to be that needs to be a strength, right? And it's and so had nine it, red zone trips. So right, gotta, exactly. So we're not doing that, and we're not 
we're not hitting the even the medium throws, right? The slants and the little simple out routes and that sort of thing. And then now you factor in the limitations. Well, now the limitations are seen in a different light because what's the what's the uh, what's the positive on the other end, right? What's the end other end of that stick? So, and 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 the, the conundrum is that that none of this means that Drew Pine is the answer, right? None of this means that Drew Pine is going to hit on his deep throws, or he's going to be better in the pocket, or he's going to be any of these other things, right? We, we don't know that, but we do know he's a little bit more mobile. I think you could run zone read with him because he's mobile enough. To where if they complete if the end completely crashes down, like they are with Cone, then Pine can keep it and run for seven eight yards, you know. And look, seven eight yards right now is is uh, an explosive for our running game. So you have to. You, I think they can do that. Um, you know, look, he came in the Wisconsin game and he made plays. And if you can if you can make plays, then then you have a chance. So, uh, you know, for me, it's not that I, I need Cone to sit and it's not that I'm, I don't want him to do it. But if Pine comes in and he, he hits a couple of fades, right? Like even the way that Ian Book used to do it, right? So Ian Book, whenever he would throw the fade, it was always the back shoulder. But shoot, sideline, yeah. right. And I'll take, look. Uh, we're trying to hit him over the top and it's not working. So hit the back shoulder then. And, and if it's got to be 28 yards, 30 yards, whatever, look, fine. Right. It's not a touchdown, but at least we're, at least we're hitting it. Right. At least there's, at least that's something that's repeatable. And if he's doing that, then why, why would you sit him? Why would you sit him? I, de- I definitely think that there needs to be a catalyst. In this offense, I think that there's too many good players on this offense uh, at the skill positions, and I think that there needs to to be some sort of catalyst. Maybe Jack Cohn come, maybe Jack Cohn plays on Saturday, and the light switches on and he reverts back to the Florida State Jack Cohn, and we're back in business, and we're good. But I don't know how much more I can take of just like. The three and outs, right? The the back to back to back three and outs, and the the sacks and the running game's not working, and the running game's not working because the line's not very good, and there's they have no reason to back off. You're not completing your passes. You're not there's no threat from the quarterback to run, so they're able to just because like you said, when if the if they're the end's crashing in and Pine takes one and he goes for seven yards. Are they gonna are they gonna crash in with such ferocity like that again? Doesn't that open it up so that they'll think twice before committing like that? Right. I mean, if that, that's the whole that's the whole thing, and that's why when when Buckner was in against Toledo, the running game suddenly looked like it worked because um, there was additional threats that they had to account for. Let's talk um, injuries or guys who just haven't played. Have you heard any scuttlebutt about Kurt Heinisch returning from from concussion protocol? Any idea about how that's advancing? Um, what's what's Sibor, uh, what's Sibo Flemister's timeline? Like, where where are some of these guys that have been, uh, you know, who've not only been out last week, but um, you know, could, could possibly could possibly see them 
perhaps this week. I think Sebo's all systems go, right? Okay. So he, yeah, he was the uh, the four gamer guy. I think. Yeah. I mean, all signs pointed. The, the shadow suspension. Yeah. Although yeah. I don't. What's what is his role? <laughs> what what would he do on this team? Well, I, I, I think he sort of got the Jack Cone quandary, right? Which is like, what would you say you do here, right? Which is uh, like, what does he do that Tyree and Williams couldn't do better? It's I don't think it's pass blocking. I don't think it's going out in the flat and catching balls. I don't think it's, you know, hitting the hole. Is it just to give the other guys a spell? But you're really not overworking Tyree at this point. Yeah, like his skill set doesn't lend itself to what this team is. I mean, he's an inside guy. That's what he's been. And, I mean, if you're going to give him the ball, like why haven't we seen Logan Diggs and Audrey Estime then? Yeah. Right? Like if if because my thing is like we need to we need to give touches to Tyree and Williams as much as possible. So like giving Sebo a carry, you might as well give it to Diggs or Estime. That's how I see it. And what about what about Joe Alt? Are we gonna see more of him this week, you think? Are they ramping him up? I don't know what Kelly means when he says we're going to play four tackles. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Like, what does that mean? I, I don't like, are you going to use gonna, alt in 12 personnel? Yeah. But the, even then, like, are you going to rotate Carmody and Baker? Gross. Like that, that at some point you, we, we cannot be doing that all the time like that. The problem, like, if, if, if Aaron Taylor is what he says is correct, and, and I believe him, cause he would know better than me, <laughs> if he's, if he says the problem is communication, then I can't imagine shuffling left tackles, like, throughout the game is going to lead to a positive outcome. So, I, I at some point, you, like at some point, you got, we gotta, we gotta pick something and go with it. I like Joel. I, I like him a lot, and and but and I like it when they bring him in the jumbo package. I kind of think they should do that in lieu of bringing in like George Takix because Takix isn't a great blocker, and he's certainly not as good as Joe Alt. So it's like if we're gonna throw the ball to Takix, then fine. But I don't know. I, I just I just feel like yeah, the tight end blocking leaves a lot to be desired this year. Am I correct in that? I mean, it's, uh, it hasn't been, uh, <laughs> it hasn't been great. It's been tough. Not great, Bob. <laughs> I mean, like, look, I, I, I think it, it has to be a thing where tactics is a compliment to the line instead of like an extension of the line, I guess. Like he need, like these guys and especially mayor, right? Cause he has so much responsibility as a receiver. It's just super hard to be like, and you're also going to be like Tommy Tremble as a blocker, right? And, and tactics is, is, is one of those things. Like I need to just, he needs to be, I, I'm holding my own guy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm out here holding my own sure. and not like, why aren't you a strength? It's like, well, it's not his game. So. Um, back to my original question. Anybody heard any scuttlebutt about Heinish? Is it is this going to become a two week thing or? That's the thing with concussions. You don't know. Yeah, you don't know, right? It, it well, I think 
I also think we find out tomorrow, his, right? Yeah. Or I guess today. This is not his first. Right. So it's like there's an accumulation issue possibly, and if that's the case, then I mean we're we're looking at you know a different kind of conversation. You got to think say, about that's a that's kid a Corey, overall. That's a Corey Robinson type conversation, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I don't think Heinish is is uh I, I'm not trying to imply like he's gonna like not play again, but it's like we got to be really really careful. Yeah. So Pro- protecting brain should be the, the right. number one yeah. priority. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Okay. I mean, I, obviously the guys who, who relieved him in, in the Wisconsin game, uh, played admirably. Obviously, you know, you always miss Heinish, but, um, I, it wasn't like, uh, they were gashing the, the middle. I didn't feel like, um, no. So I, I, we will, we will next man in, we'll move, move around, I guess, right? So, um, Brendan, I feel like we extracted a ton out of you, but is there anything more, um, from Cincinnati that, that you think that we should know? I mean, this is probably a pretty significant game in terms of their football history. They don't, there's probably not a lot of times that they're ranked in the top 10 that they also play another top 10 team, right? There was a uh, um, there was a reporter in Cincinnati who asked Luke Fickle um, if this was the the biggest game in Cincinnati history, and Fickle raises his eyebrows and he goes, uh, "Yeah, it's it's a top ten matchup. Um, <laughs> they've never had a stage this large in their program's history, um, not at least in the regular season. Um, they've never been to." Um, a stadium like this in this sort of environment, um, I predict that it's probably going to be a little raucous with a, I would hope so, top 10 matchup, uh, green out uh, for what that's worth. Um, we had Desmond Ritter today making the rounds uh, chirping a little bit. Yeah, tell, um, tell us about that because I, I saw some 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 talk that he had a conversation with Den Brock that he then repeated to the media. So what what's the story there? So Den Brock warned him that the stadium's going to be loud tonight or not tonight, but the, the stadium's going to be loud on Saturday. And, um, the media was, was asking him, and this is all the conversation he had was all secondhand as he was relaying it to the media. And, um, he goes, uh, you know, Dan Brock was telling me that the stadium's going to be loud, but, uh, shouldn't be loud for too long. And then he smiles at the camera. And, um, yeah, that reminds so, me of a that reminds me of a great quote in Top Gun. <laughs> you know which one I'm I, referring to? Yeah, it's just son, your mouth is writing writing checks your body can't cash. It's um that would hold more weight if there wasn't the last time he stepped on the football field um, against Indiana. They had three false starts, a false start on each one of their first of of, of their drives. And it was obviously the crowd noise that was impacting them. In fact, um, they had five false starts in their first six drives. Um, their offense, when they came out, was the first 24 plays went for 35 yards. They had the five false starts. They had one fumble, and they had a pick. They had zero points, and their offense didn't look like it could do anything, and they were shrinking from the moment. Um, the whole game against Indiana shifted um, 
when Micah McFadden, the linebacker for Indiana, who was just eating them up, living in the backfield. And uh, um, it was it was going to be a three and out. He throws an incompletion and the punt team's getting ready to, to kick out. And then the officials say that they're calling in a review. Um, and then in the review, they end up tossing McFadden from the game. And if you watch the clip, um, Dylan O'Quinn, the right tackle for Cincinnati, pushes McFadden into Desmond Ritter. It's like incidental contact. And they end up throwing a 15-yarder, kicking the kid out of the game. Cincinnati scores a touchdown on that drive, and then they pretty much don't look back. It would have been a punt, in, in Indiana would have went into the half uh, up 14 to nothing, and they end up going in 14 to 10 instead. Um, it just it's pretty pretty significant, yeah, pretty significant. And like I said, a thing with Ritter, it he was he was a slow starter. They they started slow against Murray State. Um, if you check the box score of that game at halftime, you were like, whoa, what's what's uh, what's going on here with Murray State? And then they ended up pouring it on him in the second half. But um, I think that they're this is a big stage for Cincinnati. Um, they're going to be very hyped. And then there's good hype. And then there's bad hype. And the bad hype's where you're tight on the reins a little bit too much because the moment gets to you. And I don't know if it was softened a little bit for them in Indiana, and there's going to be no problems against Notre Dame. But I think that that's something to look out for in this game is if Cincinnati starts off slow and Notre Dame's able to – get an early score, I think that this crowd could be absolutely hammering this Cincinnati. Because if they, they hit those same false starts, um, like we saw at the end of the Toledo game, the crowd will feed on that if they see those false starts come. And then, you know, Toledo had another one. Um, I I think that the crowd certainly can potentially be a pretty big factor. And I saw that uh, his the, the post, I think it got re, uh, it's been making the rounds all day, but then Pro Football Focus College um, put a gra- put one of the graphics on it and blasted it out today, and they had like you know seven or eight retweet tags for old takes exposed for it. Uh, so that's <laughs> one of those things to to keep an eye on. Is this is a team that has in the past? I mean, he's they're slow starters, and I think that in a um, hostile environment, that is not a recipe for success. I mean, on the flip side of the coin, I think he's like fifth or sixth in the Heisman odds, right? So saw that. if yeah. he comes out and, you know, has some kind of gaga game against uh, Notre Dame, then he's got to be, I mean, that's got to be the high, that's going to be the highlight that they show, right? Well, ESPN won't show because it's a Notre Dame home game and they they just refuse to show NBC clips, <laughs> right. but they'll somehow, yeah. they'll somehow figure out a way, I bet you. So, okay. Um, you know, we'd be remiss if, if uh, we teased it earlier and uh, we didn't go and check out the games. We typically pick about, probably about five games. And I think this week we have another five. Um, Brendan, uh, this is typically your segment that you lead. And obviously we can rotate and Greg obviously is going to pick for, for, uh, for Joshua. And I'm saying obviously too many times, but uh, <laughs> we uh, will start with, we'll start with Brennan uh, kicking us off. What's the first game, buddy. All right. So the first game is one that, that caught my eye because uh, top 10 Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes are traveling to Maryland and Iowa is a three and a half point favorite, only a three and a half point favorite traveling to the unranked and undefeated 
uh, Marilyn Terrapins to play to his little brother. Jude? I mean, is there something that we're supposed to know besides to his little brother that Marilyn's bringing to this, this game? Uh, no, I mean, he's, he's kind of, uh, an out, uh, an out of the box, uh, Heisman in his own right. Um, the, uh, he had a pretty good start to the season last year. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's a, he's an Alabama transfer, went, uh, followed his, uh, OC to, um, Maryland and, um, He's been uh he's been pretty he's been pretty good so far this season. Um and it's of note that Iowa is a top 10 team only getting three and a half points. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, Vegas knows something maybe that I don't know, but uh I feel comfortable uh picking Iowa here and and, and laying the points. So, give me Iowa. Uh, uh well, one thing I do know is Iowa's offense. I mean, look. <laughs> <laughs> people people love to make fun of Notre Dame for their terrible offense. And let me tell you, I mean they are they are the uh, the twenty they're twenty twenty Bama if if uh, compared to Iowa. I mean because look, and I know this is true because this is what I was tweeting about when Chris Vinini was just just lauding their thumping that they gave to um, Iowa State and all of their. All of their 173 total yards. <laughs> 67 passing, 106. Yeah, or Greg, 67 rushing, like, 106 I passing. felt like you brought the receipts on that because I felt like you really pointed out like, well, one game he said it was like, what was the, what was the words he used for Notre Dame? Um, was like eked or something like that or? It, it, it basically was just a complete dismissal. Yeah. Like don't, like don't be fooled by the jerseys and the name and the brand. <laughs> And don't be fooled by the pick sixes. <laughs> so yeah. I was uh I was just a, a spot above. They're slumming it at one twenty second in the nation in uh, total offense, just above Vanderbilt, Bowling Green, and Southern Miss. Woo. Mm. I mean, it's hard to. It's hard. The thing is, is defense travels. Sure does. Defense travels, boys. Um. I wish I, I, I knew that. I, I can't imagine it's an intimidating place to play, right? Uh, I mean, maybe their basketball court, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Iowa. It's just I'm gonna take the defense. You can you can uh, win by 28 if your defense is scoring, friends. <laughs> Brandon, they do have the propensity to score, as we saw as they. Uh, Scored 27 against America's favorite team, Iowa State. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't think that Iowa can just – you just don't walk into College Park without an offense <laughs> and expect to come out of there with a dub. Um, not when not when Maryland's uh, – they got a, a gunslinger at the helm. And the the younger uh, Tagovailoa brother, um, you know what? I'll I'll uh, I'll see if I can't pick one up here on you boys. Um, I think uh, maybe Iowa wins, but it's like twenty to seventeen, and I get right. I get that hook. Uh, this one's a fun line. Um, I have a lot of I, I hate this I, line. <laughs> I hate this line too because I wanted to put money on this game. Um, but I couldn't because I don't argue because the line's like, well, I they're, they're going to cover, 
right. Um, pick them or something. So yeah, and, and I don't, and I, I didn't. There's no value in it. No value, um, yeah. So of course we're talking about um, up at Camp Randall, the Wisconsin Badgers are hosting. Uh, maybe the best team in college football, the Michigan Wolverines. I think they're back again. I, I saw I saw a few things written about Michigan being back. Um, Ivan Mansell wrote an article about uh, how they're back, and then I saw another article um, written by ESPN about how they're back. So it, it sounds like Michigan's are you, back. Again. Are you saying I gave my hard-earned money to Ashton so that she could let Ivan Mansell write an article about how Michigan is back? Ugh. He sure did. Um, Damn it. So. Wisconsin is a two-point favorite at home hosting undefeated Michigan. You want Greg to start or? Wait, yeah, Wisconsin's got... a favorite? Wisconsin is Wisconsin a two-point two favorite, my man. Favorite. Yep. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was kind of my reaction too. Because I, I want to take Wisconsin. I do want to because – they're not gonna stop. For, they're gonna circle the wagons. That nothing <laughs> is more more dangerous, I think, than a wounded badger. And, um, I love and it. I, and I just like because you know they have that. They got that defense still, and I, I I really think that like the worst thing for Michigan is that Wisconsin blew it last game. You know, it, I, I feel like Michigan needed Wisconsin to win. Cause then it's, it's like you don't have that edge, but now they have, they have that kind of like season it is like, a, like, yeah, like season is on the brink. I mean, you start one and three and you're, you're looking at like yeah, six and six we're, season. We're yeah. going to be six and six, five and seven. Yeah. Um, that's bad news. I'm taking, I'm taking Wisconsin. Come on. You. All right. Uh, I gotta, I gotta make up some for Josh and it, as much as it pains me to be a terrible human being and take Michigan, um, I cannot put any money behind Graham, Graham Mertz. Uh, of course I'm putting money behind Cade McNamara, so who's the idiot now? But, um, yeah, just, uh, Michigan and the free points. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I think this could be a, a close game and, and, uh, I always like free points at home. Real, real 10 to, 10 to 7 kind of game. Um, <laughs> Big 10. <laughs> So here's Cade McNamara's uh, passing lines. Oof, his, uh, don't four starts so far. He is not. He went nine for eleven against Western Michigan for a buck thirty-six. Woo. He went seven for fifteen for forty-four yards against Washington. He went eight for eleven against Northern Illinois for one ninety-one, and he went nine for sixteen against Rutgers in a twenty to thirteen victory where he threw one hundred and sixty-three yards. Um, boys, what does Wisconsin do? What do they do well? Like if you, uh, if you would if you'd say like Wisconsin can do one thing. Oh, well, what is the one the thing run? they can do? What is the one thing that Michigan wants to do and are completely incapable of doing otherwise? Uh, they want to run. run. So the immovable object uh, meets an unstoppable force, and I think Rutgers put the blueprint out uh, last week where Michigan was up. I think 20 to three at the half. They didn't score again. Um, Rutgers just committed to stopping the run and Michigan just sort of slogged through and held on to win 20 to 13. I don't think Wisconsin's going to blow them out, but like I said, it could be a 10 to seven game. Cause I don't know. I think Michigan is going, Cade McNamara is going to need to throw and he's never thrown more than 16 passes in a game. So, um, let's see how that goes for him. So I've give seen me, how uh, it goes when Graham Mertz throws. 
<laughs> I have also seen that. Oh, boy. So, yeah, I'm going to hitch my wagon to Graham Mertz to throw less than three three picks. Less than, less than three picks this week. Maybe we'll throw two. Um, so there's another top 10 matchup this week. Um, and that is, and this spreads crazy too. Um, the University of Georgia is hosting the Arkansas Razorbacks, who legitimately are America's darling right now. Arkansas is. They've beaten Texas A&M. They've beaten Texas. Uh, they've ended Texas's, uh, playoff hopes. The state of Texas's playoff <coughs> hopes have been dashed by, uh, Jerry Jones's favorite, uh, university. Um, but I don't think Vegas is giving Arkansas no respect because Georgia is an 18 and a half point favorite at home against Arkansas. Um, that line seems enormously large. Um, not, you know, partially in part because Georgia scored at will against Vandy. Um, Though their win against Clemson doesn't look quite so good now, do you think a do you think that win against Clemson looks good now? Certainly, the ten does not. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, I think Arkansas is going to want to slow this football game down a little bit. KJ Jefferson, their quarterback, um, he doesn't throw it a whole lot. Uh, I think that this this team wants to run uh, with Trayon Smith and KJ Jefferson. Um, and I think that they slow it down enough so they can't lose by 19 points. So give me <laughs> Arkansas. So the dumb thing here is I really think that Georgia could beat Arkansas by about 17 and still have Arkansas cover, cover the spread. Right. Uh, That's my thought. I literally have no idea why the over under is 48 in this game because I really feel like this is a track meet. Um, I'm going to take Arkansas to cover, although I really do believe Georgia is going to win. Uh, comfortably. Yeah. Um, I'm also taking Arkansas, and I don't think Georgia's gonna win comfortably. Okay. Arkansas's good. I, I don't, that, 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 like, 18 and a half is wild. That's wild. <laughs> it is wild line. I mean, I, I think the. I, between I, the hedges, right? In Georgia? Yeah, yep, it is yeah. in Georgia. Okay. Yeah, but I, I, I think the, uh, the Clemson game is pretty informative. I mean, I, you know, they, they, they just gave up like a healthy amount of points to NC State. I mean, I, 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 I mean, when, when I'm, t- I'm talking about Clemson's defense, I, I, yeah, I yeah. so I, I, uh, yeah, Clemson, Arkansas can run the ball. They've got some dynamic guys on their team. I, I just, I don't know. That's crazy to me. It was, this was honestly like one of the easiest ones. Do you think, <laughs> Which probably means it's completely you think Arkansas is going to win outright? That would be a no, wild. Uh, it, no, but I, I also uh, like eighteen and a half. Yeah, no, I, I think that's. I think this is too much. That's what I mean by it was a it was a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, but you're you're expecting a, a closer game. I, I I to be honest with you, I think eighteen and a half is closer to where I think the game's going to end up. But uh, but for you, it's like you know this is a this is maybe a field goal game or a, a touchdown game. So it's I was a, thinking a touchdown game. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like a 35-28 kind of deal? Yes. All right, so the next one, not quite a top 10 matchup, but definitely another marquee game. There's a lot of marquee games this weekend. (laughs) Um, But so number one, Alabama is hosting number 12, Ole Miss. 
and Alabama is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite against the Fighting Kiffins. Jude, what do you got? So I make it a point not to <clears throat> not to really bet against Alabama, uh, even if the spread kind of looks a little funky. I have really, I really did enjoy the couple of years where we had Dr. Bo Nix and uh, who is the, no, not Bo Nix, Bo Wallace, Bo Wallace, Bo Wallace, sorry. yeah, Bo Wallace. Uh, yeah. It's the Bo Nix, but I met Bo Wallace. And who is the other guy? Oh, the guy who got Swag drafted. Kelly. Swag, Swag Kelly. Swag Kelly. I was going to say the guy who got drafted is Mr. Irrelevant by the Broncos, Chad Kelly. Um, really did enjoy those games. Um, but, um, yeah, give me Alabama in the 14 and a half. Uh, and this, this over under is wild. 80 points, man. I, I just, I think you're going to have to watch this one just to enjoy offensive football. So there's going to be some points. There's definitely going to be some points and watch it be 10 seven now. Right. <laughs> All right, Greg, what do you got for this one? I'm going to take the points. I think uh I think this is Lane Kiffin. I, I, there's like a Lane Kiffin aura. Renaissance? Yeah. There's a Lane Kiffin aura. Uh, it just hovering over the nation right now and I just think they've got something there. I mean, this is a huge it's almost like the uh it's almost like the Notre Dame Cincinnati game. In that it's like this game is so big for Ole Miss. I feel like they've circled it. They've had it. They have their quarterback. Um, they have everything is kind of lined up for them. I wish the game was, I wish the game was in Mississippi, but, um, I think it's similar to also similar to the, the Arkansas game. Like I don't, I don't know that Ole Miss is going to win outright, but I think it's going to be close. Like, like I, I'm, I'm getting two touchdowns. They could lose 40, 48 to 34 and I'm straight, you know, so, or Matt, or Josh is, so I'm, <laughs> I feel good about that. I, uh, I kind of like where you're at. I think, uh, they have the Heisman front runner, right? Yeah. And Matt Carroll. Yeah. Um, also kind of something that's, Land Sharks are back, baby. They yeah. Nine sacks on the season. Um, they're playing kind of, I mean, they're giving up points, but, um, they're playing kind of a scrappy defense that's able to get after the quarterback and create some havoc. Um, and Alabama sneakingly has had some line concerns, right? Yes. They're, they're so, PFF grades and look at, you know, full caveats, right? Like they're, I don't know about the grading or whatever, but their PFF grades are in the fifties below Notre Dame. So it, it just, I saw um Mike Wilbon today was railing oh my on uh, God. He was Kiffykins. Full full on mad for what reason? I don't even understand. Yeah. And, then, and then, honestly and and I view that as I view that as um like Lane gets the high ground there. That was like totally yeah. uncalled for. And everybody uh everybody sided with Lane on it and it was uh Yeah. I, I I mean we could probably dedicate a whole podcast to the whole evolution of Lane Kiffin, but I think from where he was as Joey Freshwater to where he is now is I if it's not 180 degrees it's it's definitely an evolution right I mean I think Lane Kiffin is much more enjoyable now than he was I five think years ago right he's more he knows who he is and I think he's more comfortable in who he wants to be as a person like I don't yeah. think he's the same sort of like asshole that that he used to be and I think he's able to like have fun and be 
self depreciative and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Old Miss to cover and part of me thinks that Ole Miss might just like straight up shock the world and beat Alabama and throw this entire season into absolute chaos because if Alabama lost to Old Miss, this entire season just goes off the rails with just like nobody knows what to do with Clemson in the tank and Old Miss in Alabama with a loss in, you know, the first week of October. Um, but I at least think Ole Miss will cover. But if uh, I'll be cheering for Ole Miss, I'll, I'll say that. So that brings us to the uh, the game at hand here, and that is our beloved Notre Dame Fighting Iris hosting the Cincinnati Bearcats of um, uh, <coughs> Queen City. And Notre Dame is a two-point underdog at home. Um, I can get a point and a half, but um, from what I pull mine off for these, uh, they are a two-point dog. Um, does anyone want to step up to the plate and uh, take this one, take a crack at it first? I'll go first. I have a question for you, Brennan. Yeah. <coughs> Do stars matter, Brennan? <laughs> um, That's a loaded question. <laughs> I think at a macro level, they absolutely matter at the highest level. Yes. Um, is this the highest level, Brennan? <laughs> um. I think a football team played between top 10 opponents. Um, Notre Dame's been on the uh, receiving end of a few beatdowns from teams with significantly more stars. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, so, and I'm glad you said um, game between to- top 10 teams because I think that the intangibles could have favored Cincinnati here. There is a scenario where – Notre Dame was kind of looking past this game. Um, but the way the season has played out, I don't want to say look past the game. It, it, w- it would have been clearly a bigger deal for Cincinnati than for Notre Dame. For like if that. they were like ranked 15th or 16th, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's a, there's a scenario. And Notre Dame's ranked like five, and they're like seven-point favorites. And it's like, okay, it's Cincinnati, whatever, it's fine. But that is not how the season has played out. The fact that Notre Dame is an underdog in this game, I don't think that's good for Cincinnati. Like, I, I think they would have preferred it to be the other way. Um, I think, I think the green out thing, it just kind of shows like we're making this a big deal. We are going out of our way to make this a big deal. And I think that Cincinnati's fans are going to show up chirpy. And I think that's going to make Notre Dame's fans a little irritated. And I think that that stadium is going to have the edge that you're looking for. I think there's going to be a little bit of rain, which will add to kind of, I don't know, like people just have like kind of a fun time in the rain, Um which is to say, you're, I think Cincinnati is getting Notre Dame's best shot. And if you're getting Notre Dame's best shot, then, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to be the team with a talent deficit, right? And we've seen Notre Dame, when they play well in the regular season, they've, they've gone toe to toe with teams like Georgia, who, you know, were national runners up, who, you know, we've, we beat Clemson last year. Um, you beat Michigan in 2018 at home, right? Like, so Notre Dame 
has proven they can go to toe to toe with teams as talented, more talented during the regular season. And not to minimize the fact that this is a home game and Notre Dame hasn't lost at home since I had one child. Yeah. So 24 straight, right? Yeah. And now I have three. So I, 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 and I, so I will take, I will take Notre Dame. Do you have a, do you have a score? Just kind of interested to see where, uh, where you put it at. Um, well, since I'm here speaking for Josh, he put the, um, he put 3117 in the DMs. And so I will yes. speak for him and say that is what the score will be. Okay. Um, I'll leave it for you to, to bring up the caboose on this one. Um, I think Notre Dame wins this football game outright. Uh, obviously that means that they then cover. Um, I think that the recipe for success for Notre Dame is to pressure Desmond Ritter early and get him uncomfortable. I think that Notre Dame has the best pass rush that they will have seen. And I think that they can take it. And it's funny that I say this because Notre Dame has their own line deficiencies. Um, but I think Isaiah Foskey is going to have a field day uh, this weekend. I think Jordan Botello, um, having gotten his feet wet last week, is now probably going to be more in line to have a larger workload for this one. Um, I just think Notre Dame has too many players who are too disruptive. And I think Marcus Freeman's defense is now at a point this season where every week they're seemingly going to build upon themselves and get better and better. Um, I also know that when I look at these two teams and I ask myself the question, which team has Kyle Hamilton? <laughs> mm. And when I ask myself that question, there's only one. And answer. the answer comes back Notre Dame. Then I know I have to pick Notre Dame to win this football game. Um, I think if uh, Drew Pine starts this game, Notre Dame probably wins um, something like, you know, twenty-eight twenty. Um, if it's a, a Jack Cohn experience, um, I think it's more like a, you know. 21, 20, 24, 20, and it's a little bit tighter. Um, but I don't think Cincinnati is going to be able to get over that 20-point threshold, and I think Notre Dame has too many weapons. Uh, I think the crowd's going to play a big factor, and I think Notre Dame comes out of here with a signature win on the season and catapults them into um, the rest of the year. Have we t have we discussed HKH Plus on the podcast? Uh, I don't think we have. <laughs> okay, um, so I just your, your just, very special metric. Right, real quick. So I put together this formula. You know, there's the the SP plus from Bill Connolly, and there's FEI and that sort of thing, and yep. FPI and FPI, yep, sure. FBI, CIA, <laughs> and so they all have their metrics, and I came up with my own. I worked on it really hard over the summer. What it is? Okay. It's, um, HKH plus, which stands for has Kyle Hamilton. And um, what it is is so I weighted each team, each opponent of ours versus um, Notre Dame by which team has Kyle Hamilton. And the way that it works is 
Notre Dame has Kyle Hamilton, so the win probability is at 100. <laughs> and and the teams that don't, the win probability is at zero. And right now, the formula checks out. So <laughs> I don't. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there's some sort of variance. I mean, in there, that is, but that is very much baking it into the box score is it not that's the it's, definition it's it's baked in yeah <laughs> it's baked in super baked uh <laughs> well gentlemen this is <clears throat> this has been very entertaining but um you know i feel like there's a there's an opportunity here uh when you guys uh when when i opened this up and i saw that i was three picks down on josh i thought you know this is like uh all the times i played cards in a casino and if you've ever played cards in a casino um it's super frustrating because you're not you're not as good at cards in a casino as you are cards around uh your friends table and so you do this thing that uh that psychologists called chasing cards where you're basically uh trying to make up for past losses by uh overextending yourself on on future uh hands and so that's what i'm going to do right here by picking cincinnati to win oh no <laughs> and I honestly don't believe Cincinnati's gonna win, but I I just want the free dub if they do. Um, and uh, it, you know I think it's gonna be a close game. I honestly think it's gonna be, uh, you know I I could see like a like a thirty four twenty eight kind of deal. Um, and I do think I I do believe in the uh, H H K H K H plus formula. And yeah. I do believe uh, in everything that you guys have said, but uh, um, I, you know what? I picked so different from from quote unquote Josh tonight that uh, I'm I'm feeling I'm smelling opportunity here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna extend overextend myself. Does it change your outlook to know that based on percentages, you're technically only just a game behind? No, I'm just I, I I'm I'm taking it all down this week. I'm okay. taking it all down this week, so. Just yeah. smashing past. Look, it. I already, I already went in and picked Michigan. I might as well go full villain here. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you because... went Michigan, Alabama, and then the opponent. That is, I that's mean, full, that's... I, that's that's full villainy right there. Yeah. So. Uh, just you know, I obviously I'll treat this a little bit more seriously when I get on tally site because you know that counts for real. But uh, you know, I just uh, I, I like Notre Dame here. I I think that um, we're gonna have another another fun time. I, I see them. Continuing the uh, the home win streak, uh, getting another important probably uh, you know we can start well depending on how the game turns out we can start talking about this as a possible t- addition to the top ten games of, of of Brian Kelly era here and um, you know and, and then I, I just like the way that the schedule breaks for us after this so if if I, I think the players understand this this is a big game for um, how this season is going to go and this is a good inflection point and so. Um, you know, they've gotten the first half of this puzzle done by beating Wisconsin, and now it's time to take care of business in their own house against, uh, you know, against their head coach and their defensive coordinator's former team. And, oh, and their safeties coach, former team. So let's do it. Uh, Greg, real quick, over under Kyle Hamilton picks 0.5. Does he get one this weekend? Yeah. Yes. He didn't get one. He didn't get one last weekend. So I know. Right That's now it's so. Right now it's pick, no pick, asterisk, cheating refs. <laughs> um, pick, no pick. So pick is coming. 
It's going to be great. I'd be cool if he broke the trend and actually did pick two two weeks in a row. So I don't know. If I would be cool with it too, but you know the 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 universe is the universe. I I'm just a a humble messenger. Yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a, a a bunch of atoms talking into a microphone. <laughs> well, um, this is probably the the end of our podcast for tonight. Um, you know, Brendan. Obviously, it's always a pleasure to to pod with Brendan. Uh, always thrilled to have an excuse to bring Greg on. Uh, we do a little bit later to accommodate Greg's West Coast existence, um, but he he graciously gave us some time tonight instead of working out, and we do appreciate that. So if you would give him a follow on the on the Twitter, uh, Greg2126, you'll see some pretty, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, but you'll see some pretty good, uh, pretty excellent cut-ups of the game where Greg will really explain to you, you know, sort of the game through his eyes. And, you know, obviously he has the ability of watching it back and not experiencing it in real time on the field. But, um, you know, I think you get a lot of good insight from from following Greg. And then obviously, if you're not already following Brendan at very priority, I, I don't I don't know what you're doing with your life. I really, I just, I mean, you're missing out a lot of fun, I think. You're so, bad. If you don't follow Brendan, you're bad and you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Now we know what's going to happen. Yeah, perfect. And obviously you can catch Greg when he does write over at uhnd.com. They also have a podcast called the Single High Podcast, which is a nice intro from – from uh, it, 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 it makes the has Kyle Hamilton metric <laughs> because it has Kyle Hamilton in the, in the intro. And uh, Greg also has <laughs> – Greg, Greg cannot be on enough podcasts. Greg also has – um, a Tilting Ground podcast with his friend Michael Muto called the Untitled Notre Dame USC podcast, uh, which unsurprisingly talks about both Notre Dame and uh, USC, which is I actually haven't been able to listen to it. But uh, how is Michael handling uh, the season? Is the baby distracting him from the uh, from the, the tire fire? So the baby is the, the baby is not at this point, which is unfortunate for him. Um, the last pod we did. We, we, we recorded, uh, last week. I encourage everyone to listen because <laughs> they just got blown out by Oregon State. It's and he's, like full meltdown. Yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> it was, it wasn't meltdown, but he was pretty despondent and upset. And, uh, it's a pretty funny one. So if you haven't listened to it, uh, you want to listen to a USC fan be really upset and me make fun of him, then. Uh, that's the pod for you. I mean, that's pretty much why I tune in. So <laughs> it was not fun to listen to you guys. And, uh, well, when Notre Dame was having downtimes and, and USC was sort of right. start in 2000, what, 15 or 16? Uh, yeah, I think it was 15. 15. So yeah, we had to, yeah. we had to listen to the struggle of 2016 in real time, which was, yeah. don't go back and visit those. Those are not that fun. But. No. Anyways, that's how you can find uh, find uh, Greg's stuff. Obviously, we're over at onefootdown.com, which you know. Um, please rate and review this this uh, podcast, uh, and listen to UHND's podcast and rate and review that because uh, I bet you they could they could uh, appreciate some reviews. So I'll take it. Well, and and anything nice you want to say about One Foot Down in the review of UHND's uh, podcast, we'll take that as well. So, not saying you have to, but I'm just saying. We appreciate it. We talk about it. So, so for Brendan in uh, in the Midwest and uh, Greg out in the West Coast and me in the East Coast, um, have a good night and go Irish.